Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast with Jane Rogers, where we discuss science to help prevent cognitive decline. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making the time to join us. A bit of housekeeping first. Cutting Edge Health is an audio podcast, but it's also a video podcast on YouTube. So we hope you tune in however it is easiest for you. In today's episode, we have a fabulous guest. Dr. Uzi Kamal is a dentist specializing in sleep apnea, a breathing disorder that is one of the leading causes of cognitive decline. We spend a third of our lives sleeping, which our cells and our organs use to repair themselves. It's small wonder that the quality of that sleep will affect our brains and our cognitive health. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot. I'm very excited about this edition of the Cutting Edge Health Podcast because I get to welcome my good friend and my very own dentist, Dr. Uzi Kamal, who practices in Hendersonville, North Carolina at Black Bear Dental. Dr. Kamal, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jane. It's my pleasure. We get to talk about something near and dear to your heart, and that is sleep apnea and how a dentist who's trained upright can really help in that area and why it's really important for cognitive health. Absolutely. So can we just start out? We've got a lot to unpack in this time. Can we start out by saying, why would someone talk to their dentist if they are having possible sleep apnea issues? That's a great, great question. Um, Jane, when I was in dental school, I remember I came across a, uh, it was like a meme or something on social media that dissected the word dentist. And it took the first letter, and it, it represented doctor. In the second two letters, E-N represented engineer. And the TIST, the T-I-S-T at the end of dentist, represented artist. And I remember thinking about that. And I said, that's pretty, pretty smart. It's pretty intelligent. I shared that with my class. But it wasn't until I graduated dental school that I realized that that was a very ap- accurate representation of what dentistry is all about. But the most important thing is it always starts with D for doctor. Every dentist is by nature a physician of the head and neck and specializing in the oral cavity. It's really important for dentists to put the overall health ahead of the dental health. So if a patient comes into my chair, sits down, opens their mouth, and I can recognize some oral cancer and a cavity, I'm going to address the oral cancer first. So the the, the overall health comes first. Um, But why dentists? Well, I find that we are probably one of the uh, the, the perfect roles in the sleep apnea field because we see our patients quite regularly. But we also assess the airway every time the patient opens their mouth. So it's ideal for a dentist to be trained and be able to recognize some of the symptoms and signs of possible sleep apnea. One, because we see our patients quite regularly. But number two, we are we're uh, specialized to see down the airway and look at the tongue, look at the oral facial features, look at the oral maxillofacial skeletal structures, and appreciate what may be um, a sign for something that a patient may have and may not be aware of. So that's ultimately why I feel like dentists are ideal for mm-hmm. for addressing sleep apnea. And why is it important that we even address sleep apnea issues. What happens if you are not getting enough oxygen at night as far as your cognitive health? Absolutely. I mean, uh, sleep apnea, number one, is a silent killer. It, it, it kills people in their sleep. It's a very important disease to appreciate because the majority of people don't know they have sleep apnea. It's kind of like blood pressure. 
you typically can't know or typically you don't know what your blood pressure is. Um, in fact, people are, we see signs of it before a patient recognizes or a person recognizes that they have uh, high blood pressure. As an example, diabetes is another one. Um, people don't run around knowing what their blood glucose levels unless they're doing some form of test. Mm -hmm. By the time they find out, sometimes it's too late. With sleep apnea, it's quite similar. A lot of my patients tell me, well, I didn't know I had this disease. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I opened my mouth or, or my breathing stopped or was disrupted during my sleep. In fact, most people don't know they snore or grind their teeth at night. It's usually a sleep partner that will identify that for them. Um, but why is it important for cognitive health? I mean, and Jane, I'm sure you can tell me and like anyone else, that there, if, there isn't an organ system in our body that does not require oxygen. Sleep apnea is a disruption in our normal gas exchange in our sleep, in our, during our sleep. It's a nocturnal disease, but it affects our daytime, our health, as well as our nocturnal health. So if, let's say my partner snores or is restless at night or um, wakes up and is gasping for breath, should a person turn to their dentist or should you make sure, is my dentist trained to be able to do this? Because a lot of dentists have different skills, and, and this is not something that every dentist possesses. So the most important thing we need to uh, identify first is that even though the dentist can help identify the signs for sleep apnea, the dentist cannot make the formal diagnosis. It is it is outside the lane or outside of the profession of the dentist. For example, I am trained to read a sleep study, but just because I can identify sleep apnea in a sleep study, I cannot give the formal diagnosis. So to answer your question, if you have a sleep partner that you, you see gasping for air or starting to find some signs of sleep apnea, the best person to go see is the sleep physician. Because at this point, you are just like a dentist who may identify these signs. You've already found out that there is a possibility. So go straight to the sleep physician. The sleep physician would likely issue a sleep study to confirm that there's, there's cell, at the cellular level, we are seeing signs of the apneic events. And then they can give the diagnosis. And then you have a piece of paper that tells you whether or not your apnea is mild, moderate, or severe. Correct. Or it may not even exist. Right. Can you always use a dental fix for this problem? Or do some people have such severe apnea that they just need to move straight to a CPAP and dental interventions won't work? That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. Um, so you, you've kind of answered part of it. The dentist can offer treatment mm -hmm. options. It's not necessarily the only option. There are multiple ways to treat sleep apnea. So let's say we have a patient or an individual we've identified as having sleep apnea. There are surgical approaches. There are non-surgical approaches. There are, are things that we can do at the dental office. And of course, the most popular and most common is a CPAP. Now, the CPAP was invented in 1981. Believe it or not, the CPAP was not invented for sleep apnea. It was actually given to a diabetic patient in Australia. It Eventually, we recognize that the high positive airway pressure can help open the airway during sleep for us to actually improve our, our sleep habit, habits and the gas exchange. Um, although the CPAP is an option, it's not the only option. The dentist uh, or a, a trained dentist can formulate an appliance, and there's several appliances. Everybody comes in with different needs. They have different um, uh, dentition. Perhaps they have certain restorations. Um, uh, 
they have certain limitations to, from their temporal mandibular joint, their TMJ. So the dentist that's trained is going to help find out for that individual what the best appliance is for them. Of course, there are surgical options as well. There's a new surgical option called Inspire, which, uh, which is a, basically a nerve stimulant in the tongue to help stimulate the tongue to relax during sleeping to open up the airway. So that's another option. Before we jump in to tell me the different things you can do to help sleep apnea, do you have to convince people oftentimes when they're sitting in your chair why they should even be concerned about this? It's easy to blow it off. <laughs> you're, you're so right. It is a challenge. The hardest thing in my career, and whether it's in the sleep apnea field or in the dental field, is to motivate somebody about their own health mm -hmm. if they lack that sort of motivation. Some people just simply don't care. You'd be surprised, Jane. I've had patients where I see cancer in their mouth, and I say, you need to go get this tested yesterday, and they brush that off. It's hard for me to imagine that somebody may not be concerned with their health. Thankfully, the majority of people do care about their health, so it's not necessarily difficult. Um, but it is challenging because a lot of times people don't feel like they have sleep apnea. You can have severe sleep apnea and not notice it. In fact, it changes. It's not like you have the same apnea hypopnea index throughout your entire life. In fact, some people may not have had sleep apnea earlier on in their life. Mm -hmm. And as we have more birthdays and our musculature changes, mm -hmm. our collagen changes, our weight changes, we, sag. we may develop sleep yeah. apnea. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I didn't want to say it. But <laughs> I, I know so, what you mean, Uzi. <laughs> so, but you know, if in the airway is, is a muscle, so it sags too. Mm -hmm. So if you have even mild sleep apnea, this is something that I am hearing from doctors that you really should jump all over because you have to optimize your nocturnal oxygenation. Otherwise you're going to be losing brain cells. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, there is a link to untreated sleep apnea with depression, anxiety, and definitely cognitive decline. In fact, a lot of the symptoms from sleep apnea are reversible once you correct the sleep apnea or treat, I should say, the sleep mm -hmm. apnea. There are some things that are not reversible, and cognitive health sometimes is irreversible if remained untreated. Okay, so let's unpack what you can do if someone sits in your chair and has sleep apnea and wants to address it. What do you do with them? The first step is to get a formal diagnosis. Okay. So at my office, I issue a sleep ring. It's a, it's a study that patients can take to their home, mm -hmm. and they can activate it with their app. And through the application, it allows you to start the reading of your blood oxygen concentration, mm -hmm. so like a pulse ox. But it also helps address the rhythms of the heartbeat. It's a very cool piece of technology. Um, and I'm familiar that with the Aura Ring, which is also a very popular um, uh, test mm -hmm. as well that you can do. It's simple. You wear it over your finger and you go to sleep. That's a good first step. It allows us to at least appreciate the sleep architecture. When we start to see some abnormalities, at least in my office, my next step is to send them to the sleep position. I recommend a sleep position address these abnormalities, and more often than not, they do a lab sleep study. The, the difference between the take-home uh, sleep study, or they call them HSAs, and the in-lab in sleep study is that in-lab allows us to look at some of the 
different parts of our body and address the diaphragm, look at the function of the lung, the heartbeat, and how it affects even, you can even measure bruxism or paranormal, paranormal functional habits um, during sleep in a lab study. Then the sleep physician will look at the results and formulate a, doc- a diagnosis. Today, the diagnosis is based off of the AHI, which is apnea hypopnea index. And I can go into a lot of details about what that is. I will tell you, though, in the future, we're actually moving away from using the AHI as the index. Mm -hmm. The reason is that we're finding that it may not necessarily tell us enough about the sleep apnea. It can help us identify the severity, Mm -hmm. but it may not tell us enough about what's going on. So that's number one. Number two, we also want to find out, is the sleep apnea obstructive or could it be central? Mm -hmm. The the in-lab sleep study helps us identify that. It's very important because, like I said, we have there's some sensors that are attached to the brain, to the head, so we can find out some neurofunction and signals over there. Mm -hmm. Because if it's central, it's not obstructive, it's a very different treatment protocol. At the dental office, in fact, even most CPAPs cannot correct or treat central sleep apnea. That's much more related to the the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. That's more on, we're talking about drugs. We're talking about medicine Mm -hmm. to help identify or help treat patients with uh, central Mm -hmm. apneas. Mm -hmm. Obstructive apneas are a lot more related to the the oropharynx or the nasopharynx. Mm -hmm. Different things cause those sort of obstructions. Okay, so sometimes you might have a deviated septum or injuries to the nose. I may not be able to treat a patient with something in the nasal pharynx. That might be a referral to the ENT or someone who can maybe put them on a CPAP. They may not, that might be their only option. When a patient now is in my chair and I know that I can possibly do uh, or perform some form of treatment, I'm now doing a full dental exam. Why? Because I, don't wanna, I wanna make sure there's no decay in the teeth. There's nothing else going on that may contribute to this appliance not working. The other thing is a lot of coaching. Because this requires compliance. In fact, one of the biggest reasons why the CPAP hasn't been the most popular option or is losing popularity is it only works when you wear it. Most people don't like their CPAP. I know. My neighbor doesn't wear hers half the time. It's She doesn't like it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so that's our biggest challenge with the CPAP is that it works when, when you're wearing it, but most people don't wear it. My brother, he's married to his CPAP. He wears it every night. He recognizes the effect it has on his life, his energy levels, his memory. He's lost brain fog. In fact, his weight has changed wow. since he started treating really? his sleep apnea. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it runs in my family. Both my parents have it. And I identified mild sleep apnea myself, but I wasn't the, the, can, the, the, the ideal candidate for sleep apnea. And it runs in my family too. My dad had it and my brother has it. And it's, it's been a real problem. And I watch my dad's cognitive health decline because he was one of the first CPAP users and his, it was in the early eighties and it wasn't working well. It was almost the size of of a bed, you know, it was huge device, really loud, like a freight train. And it, I don't think it worked well. I believe it. And he later developed Alzheimer's, dementia, and it, it just burned out his brain cells. I, it, I think in large part because he wasn't getting good oxygen. Absolutely. So it's so important. It's very important. And, so, and you're correct to say that that CPAP is one part of the, part of the reason why it, it hasn't been very, uh, I shouldn't say effective, but efficacious 
part of the reason it hasn't been mm-hmm. is because it's so loud, it's so large, it's difficult to clean, not very mobile. It's not easy to travel with it. And so mm-hmm. sometimes people just put it aside and it's not working for them. So what is the first line that you would turn to now? Um, there are some devices that really change the shape of a palate. There are some devices that pull your chin out so your airway is more open when you're sleeping. Absolutely. Dive deep into what you can provide. Yeah. So when I talk to my patients, I talk to them about the garage and the car. Ultimately, your airway is like a garage and your tongue is the car. Some patients have extremely enlarged tongues. We're not going to change that. There's, Believe it or not, there is a surgery you can do, but it's not a good surgery. In fact, all my approaches to sleep apnea are non-surgical approaches. Um, but anyway, so you have the garage and you have the car. One way we can look at this is how can we make the garage bigger? Because we're not going to try to make that car smaller. We can protrude the mandible or the lower jaw forward, okay? And we can change the relative position of that of the two jaws. We can also change the garage garage's height, okay? So the appliance can also add a little bit of height. But we have to be careful because we don't we have limitations. Part of it is, of course, the limitations of the facial structure, but the other part is the TMJ. We don't want to put too much strain on the TMJ. So when our patients go into an appliance, we have to monitor its effectiveness over time. We titrate the appliance. We don't put them at their maximum protrusion. So we make measurements at the office at the same time as we take impressions, and then we develop the right appliance for them based off of missing teeth, based off of the type of restorations they may have, based off of whether or not they grind their teeth at night because it has an effect. You, what you don't want to do is prevent that parafunctional habit. You can't control that. So try to limit it, limiting that lateral movement at night can create headaches and can put a lot of strain on the TMJ. So if I identify a patient that has grinding or clenching or bruxism, a sort of parafunctional habit at night, I want to make sure I design an appliance that allows that lower jaw to still move. And there's different ones. Some that have elastics, some that have extendable uh, metal brackets. Um, there are different ways I can kind of identify what that patient requires. So it all starts with the exam. Are these things comfortable? Do they hurt? They should not hurt. If they're hurting, then there's something There's something that is misdiagnosed. Okay. <clears throat> these appliances okay. are designed in a, in a comfortable fashion. The good news is there are multiple appliances. Not every single time I've treated a patient, that very first appliance that I chose for them was the best appliance that they could have had. Occasionally, I find out in the questionnaire they may have missed something. Maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they didn't know that they brux. Maybe they didn't know that they have had these things and this appliance may have started to cause a headache. That's why it's very important that this treatment is monitored. It's not just left. It's not just you walk in, here's your appliance, I'll see you in a few years. It's really important that we follow our patients and we stay connected, communicated. What's what's going on during the night? Are you comfortable? Are you wearing it? Are you wearing it throughout the entire night? There's things you can do with the appliance that you can adjust. You can adjust the height, the length. You can titrate it. You can even relieve some of the pressures that might be applied on the teeth. So there are things to 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 do to these appliances to make them more comfortable. I've heard, I've got a neighbor who's worried that that if you wear the appliance that sticks your your lower jaw out, that it will just stay there. 
And pretty soon you'll be walking around like you're a boxer with this lower jaw that is really big and sticks <laughs> out. Now, you have a, you have a way to um, make sure that that doesn't happen with a special mouthpiece that next morning that you wear for just a little bit to pull that jaw back in for the rest of your day. Correct. So we will we will typically provide a secondary appliance for the morning called the morning repositioning device or morning repositioning appliance. Again, same time that we take impressions for the the first appliance, we're we're designing their secondary appliance, um, and it's important that they do they do wear it. It helps reposition their condyles back into their most distal position or at least the more comfortable position, and it's important that they are compliant with that secondary appliance. And they don't skip it. Because like you said, you're putting a lot of strain. The good news is our lower jaw is floating. It's part of our very unique temporomandibular joint that has a lot of ligaments that are relatively stretchy. So the good news is we can actually work with that, but we should not abuse it. It's important that, like you said, that morning repositioning appliance puts our lower jaw back into its most comfortable natural position. So Dr. Kamal, you've, you've treated a lot of patients for sleep apnea. Tell us, I know you love doing this. Tell, can you ex- share with our listeners some stories Okay. about how you got an appliance and it, they did another sleep study and they had so much more oxygen coming in and you're thinking, yes, I prevented cognitive decline with this patient. Let me tell you, um, treating sleep apnea patients is probably one of, the, one of my favorite procedures that I do in my office. Why? Because it's the, one of the most life-changing things you can do for a patient especially when they recognize that they have had some unusual symptoms, brain fog, daytime tardiness or sleepiness, um, uh, confusion. Um, And a lot of times their behavior changes. In fact, let me tell you a story. You're going to love this. This is one of my favorite stories I tell patients. In fact, I'll tell you another thing about why I think one of the challenges of practicing in North Carolina is actually limiting dentists from, from providing the best care. Every state, of course, is regulated differently. There's different boards that tell dentists what they can and cannot do. We happen to have a little bit more of a challenging one. But let me tell you, I had a patient that fell asleep in my chair. Now, first of all, in a dental world, when a patient patient falls asleep in your chair, you take it as a compliment. Dentists are known to hurt people, right? So people are afraid of them. So I, of course, took it as a compliment. But it, it definitely was indicative of something that's abnormal. Typically, you won't fall asleep in a dental chair, right? So that's the first sign that I knew that something's unusual. You don't sleep during the day, typically. You shouldn't need to sleep. So, of course, as we age, a nap is okay, but to to lose control, that's why it's called falling asleep um, without warning. And the, the, nice, the weird thing is the patient didn't even realize that. So that's the first sign. Patient fell asleep in my chair. I was doing a crown. I wasn't doing something small. And I, and I was physically there. Oh I, like, it's not like I left the chair and I was in the back, <laughs> okay. you know, or seeing another patient. This patient, I was literally working on this patient and they fell asleep. So that was number one. Mm-hmm. But number two, which was the most important, is they were gasping for air. They were the oh, ideal really? sleep apnea candidate. It was textbook. If I had recorded that, there wouldn't have been a sleep physician in the country that would have said, no, this is not sleep apnea. It was textbook mm-hmm. symptoms. So listen mm-hmm. to this. So the patient wakes up. Now, I didn't want to wake him up because, like I said, I'm taking this as a compliment. I'm showing my assistant, look, I've relaxed my patient's heart. But the patient wakes <laughs> up and I said, did you know that you have sleep apnea? 
And he looked at me confused. I said, have you been tested? Have you ever had a sleep study? Has anybody talked to you about sleep apnea? He said, no, I don't even know what that is. Oh. So I said to him, well, you need to get a sleep study yesterday. So I gave him a referral. He went and saw his sleep physician. A few months later, he came back and he was on a CPAP. He came in for a cleaning and he said, Dr. Kamal, you've changed my life. I said, how? He said, I feel like I'm a very different human being. I feel comfortable. I feel happy. Now, let me tell you something about this patient. I'm allowed to say it because no names have been dropped. He used to come into the office and it was very hard to find out whether he was happy or not. In fact, most of my patients, or sorry, most of my staff would say, oh, he's on the schedule again. He's always grumpy. That was his persona. That's how we perceived him. Very upset, grumpy, dissatisfied. Generally, he may not have been, but that's Mm -hmm. how he appeared to us. After he started his treatment, he is now coming in like he has grown 20 years younger, lots of energy, very happy, and very grateful. And I'm telling you, you can see these changes. And so that's probably my favorite story that I'll tell you about sleep. That's wonderful. People's lives. That's wonderful. So let's, can we back up just a little bit and what kind of um, certification should a patient be looking for in a sleep apnea dentist? That's a good question. It's, it's hard to find a, a single certification. Um, There are different schools that train dentists differently. And like I said, there's not only one way to treat sleep apnea. Um, The American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine is an excellent resource for dentists to get the didactic information to help identify the different types of sleep apnea or the different Mm -hmm. types of, or the different stages of sleep. As we know, there's different stages of sleep. Identifying um, certain symptoms and signs, it's an excellent resource and it's it's our current uh, board. So for a, for, a, for a dentist to be board certified, this is the dental board certification for sleep apnea treatment. But there are countless okay. different continuing educations, uh, different continuing education, different schools, different training programs that guide the dentist in different ways to appreciate the different types of appliances and helping the relationship with the patient and the, and the doc. So I couldn't tell you that there's one certification that we should be looking for because, okay. number one, it changes. And number two, you, you, you can never learn enough. I, don't, I would never say to myself that I've, I've ended my or I've completed my education. This is an ongoing thing because there's so much about sleep that we still need to learn. I think our listeners may be wondering, is something like this sleep apnea being treated by a, a trained dentist, what does insurance do with this? What does Medicare do with it? Or is it just an out-of-pocket thing usually? Good question. I, to be honest with you, when it comes to the realm of insurance, I'm probably not the best person to ask why. I was raised in okay. Canada, <laughs> and Canada has a very different yeah. insurance protocols. <laughs> very. But, but I will tell you that uh, medical insurance can cover um, – uh, medical insurance will cover depending on your insurance plan, Mm -hmm. medical insurance will cover treatment, Mm -hmm. even if it's treatment from the dentist. You just have to make sure that your benefits include uh, 
the it's called mandibular advancement devices or there's different codes and and I can try to help leave you with some codes if your listeners are wondering what type of code they can ask their insurance company about but there are codes that will be that can be built to medical insurance even if it's treated at the dental office excellent excellent well we'll put that I'll get them from you we'll put them in the show notes in case someone wants to look up those codes absolutely and I do know that Medicare does cover that Oh, good. In fact, um, uh, some of my patients uh, are are um, are treated at the VA, and the VA hospital also has an mm-hmm. insurance program that will help cover the costs of those devices. Excellent, Doctor Kamal. We could talk the rest of the evening. It's a very exciting topic. Um, tell me anything more you want to add before we close. Is there anything else on your mind about this? I'd just say to our listeners, um, just be diligent. Um, and, and just be aware that it is one of the most underdiagnosed diseases out there, part, partially because most people don't recognize they have it. The other thing is it changes our, our sleep infrastructure and sleep architecture if we leave it untreated. It can affect our cognition. There's a link to Alzheimer's. There's a link to dementia. It's definitely linked to cognitive decline. If remained untreated, you remember, we all know that the oxygen needs to get to our brain in our sleep. We have what's called sleep spindles. It's a stage in our sleep where our short term memory is converted to long term memory. If we're disrupting those natural patterns through arousals with sleep apnea or untreated sleep apnea, we're affecting our memory and that is affecting our cognition, of course. Um, the other thing that I've noticed in, in, in a, we're doing a lot more research on this is in kids with children. If you leave that under, oh. undiagnosed, we are, we are misdiagnosing kids for having other diseases. Like, for example, we're quick to put our kids on Adderall for mm-hmm. attention deficit disorder or ADHD, and that's oftentimes a misdiagnosis because they may have some form of sleep disorder breathing that is translating as a very similar symptom. So patient kids might come into the school, they're very tired, or they're sleep or they're losing focus. It's not necessarily because they have ADHD. They could have sleep apnea that's undiagnosed and untreated. And if you fix that, you may not have those other issues. Even with and if we're going to talk about kids, we can talk about uh, bedwetting. Bedwetting is another mm-hmm. sign, especially as the kids are going out of the typical age for bedwetting. That could be because they're not getting enough blood oxygen or oxygen in their blood. So there's so many other factors that are we may not see is related, but I think if you have a child that's not sleeping well, snoring, snoring is a very unusual symptom in a child, mm-hmm. definitely go get them tested. So just be diligent. That's the one thing I'd say about my viewers. Mm-hmm. Be diligent. Notice snoring or waking up at night, more, especially if it's more than once a night, is unusual. Mm-hmm. It's not normal. Maybe go ahead and get a sleep study. Even if you don't see your dentist, see your physician. Say, is it okay for you to help guide me to a sleep study? So, And before we go, I'm just wondering, look to the future. We're, we're doing so many things with CPAP and, and dental appliances to fix sleep apnea. But 10 years from now, medical science is moving so fast. Where are we going to be with sleep apnea in 10 years and 20 years as far as how you treat? It's hard to tell for sure, but I tell you there's so much in the, in the pipeline that's coming. 
Um, we are learning a lot. One of the first things I learned just uh, about two or three weeks ago, I went to Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and learned from a, a wonderful uh, doctor um, from Erie, Pennsylvania, Dr. Tucker. He was talking and he introduced me to a surgical um, treatment called Inspire. It's where you actually have two little uh, surgical uh, surgically placed devices that help uh, stimulate the hypoglossus nerve so that it actually relaxes during your sleep and opening up your airway, which I think is brilliant because you just, we never know every, like I, well, like we were talking about earlier, some people might be tolerant to uh, the CPAP. Some may not. What if you have a patient that mm -hmm. wears dentures? Can you wear a mandibular advancing device? Sometimes you cannot. So how are you going to address patients with this important disease and so there are different options. So that's one of them. One other option that's relatively new that's came out from Europe that I just started to tap into is a permanent resolution by expanding through the maxillofacial structures, skeletally and dentally, that garage. But you're doing a permanent non-surgical fix. And that also involves appliances. But think of it like braces, like orthodontics. It's similar in that mm -hmm. field that you can actually help expand that arch and and in through the mid-palatal suture, even in adults, to allow more bone growth and change the position of where teeth are to allow for a, a wider garage. allows you to breathe better and hopefully never have to wear an appliance again. Or perhaps it's just less, less, um, less uh, treatment for future. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that, those, are, those are a few things. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is there's, there's been an ongoing research. It's not been published, but I'll tell you, Jane, you should look out for it. You're going to start to see mm -hmm. more relationships between diabetes and sleep apnea. The current research suggests that untreated sleep apnea puts you at a higher risk for diabetes, which is correct. But we're starting to find that uh, diabetes can be leading us into sleep apnea. Why? Because... If you think about it, sugar is transported in our body, in our hemoglobin, in our blood, but mm -hmm. so is oxygen. So if you have a saturation of glucose in your blood, how, it, how is that hemoglobin going to carry the glucose and the oxygen? And can it do it all the time? So we're starting to find connections between untreated diabetes or just generally diabetic patients developing sleep apnea. And I'll, I, I bet you you'll start to see more and more research on that in the future. Amazing. So you're saying the blood carries less oxygen if the blood is all filled up with glucose. And if you're getting less oxygen, you're going to have a problem in many different ways. That's amazing. Absolutely. There's, def there's definitely a connection there. And we're just tapping into that relationship. Dr. Kamal, thank you so much for your time. This has been just delightful. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Has it been fun? Oh my Good. goodness. I appreciate it. I love it. I love it. Honored to be here. And you are so sweet. I'm so happy for what you're doing for, for our listeners and for the people out there. This is wonderful. I support you in every way. Everything you're doing, I support you, Jane. Thank you, my friend. Have a great evening. Appreciate your time. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot, and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. 
The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.